This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. Hi, I'm Susanna Bowyer, Assistant Director at Research in Practice. This is the first in a series of three podcasts on a sibling's experience of county lines. In this episode, I talked to Sarah about her perspective on why she thinks her brother was exploited, particularly the push and the pull factors. Sarah talks about his early life and how he was exploited and groomed, both at the beginning and as things progressed. We also come to understand how her brother doesn't fit the media stereotype of a young person involved in County Limes. Good afternoon and welcome to this Research and Practice podcast where we have been um, welcomed into Sarah's home, um, who has very generously agreed to talk to us a bit about her family's experience um, in relation to her brother's involvement in gangs and criminal exploitation um, from quite a young age in London. So thank you again for taking part. So let's start from the beginning a little bit and and think about the early stages of of your brother um, becoming involved and some of the kind of things that when you look back now you think were important factors there that kind of led him into that path. Yeah, so we were discussing the like characteristics of his personality that may have led him to in that kind of direction. I think now looking at even the first few steps of what actually got him into that kind of subculture, because that's what it was at the beginning, I think um, there are two attributes that he had characteristically that I think helped identify him as somebody who might be easily persuaded to be involved in that kind of a thing so he had a kind of sheep type personality so he would follow others uh, to get in on any you know jokes or it started quite um, quite innocent I guess Um, but just being in with a naughty crowd at school and and then as well, at the same time, he was a bit of a clown. So he wanted to be the one that got the laughs. He'd he'd always push, like it was like a competition between him and whoever else was, you know, the the crowd pleaser um, in class. He, he'd get taken out of um, kind of assemblies all the time. I mean, we only have uh, just under two years, our age gap. So I was always in school with him and he'd always be sent out kind of maybe once a month. What in, sort of age are we talking about what he was at this time? Um, probably around nine, ten. Um, so it was happening quite a lot. But he'd, he'd always been quite naughty. Um, I think even younger than that, he also had this attachment issue with my mum. Um, she's not that affectionate. She's not a very cuddly mum. Um, Although my dad was, because he was at work and she was always at home with us, we were always, it's quite regimented the way that we lived and she was always um, quite focused on pushing us to achieve the maximum that we could. I think culturally as well, as a, generally as Middle Easterns, um, we just push the children in any kind of direction that we can to be achieving whatever they can so we would go to maybe six to eight different classes every week after school and we were really exhausted in that from a very early age I think he started finding that he needed to interact more socially with other people outside of school and inside of school and I think that's where um, 
the cracks started to appear. So like when, when we'd go to visit, we had best friends who were also brother and sister at primary school. And they really, the time that they spent together, they they were doing all kinds of things. I mean, they, they were throwing things outside of the house of the other sibling. They would sit and watch porn together, just all kinds of awful things for this like a 10 year old. Still at primary school age. Yeah, mm. so you you wouldn't expect it, but he had, the, the boy that he was friends with had cousins who were older who were watching it and had kind of sent him clips. Um, and yeah, it wasn't very good. We moved house. Um, I was 11, he was nine. And that really was a huge, massive shift for us because we were late in the, um, when you sign up for school. He went to a primary school, another primary school. And even then again, I don't know if he was the common kind of denominator in this, but he, he would have friends over and they'd just be sitting in his bedroom watching porn. And I'd walk in with like bundles of tissue around each of them. And it just was the most disgusting thing ever. Um, to think your little brother who's like that age is going through that. By the time he'd gone into secondary school, he became friends with this boy who lived on a council estate not not too far from our home. Um, and they had been in different classes in primary school but had been become best friends by the time they got into secondary school. And the culture around this boy, I think, was the main reason that he got sucked into that kind of world. He lived on an estate that was notorious for drug moving in that area. It's just some factors about this boy, like he, he was a lot shorter than all the other boys and I think he had something to kind of try and prove and because they, they come from the same place, the same country. Um, they just had this like kind of brotherhood from the moment that they started secondary school and the boy that he became friends with was moving drugs for the the older kids on the estate. And when I say kids, I mean maybe even up to 21. And so there'd be people coming to my um, house after school. I'd come back and find that all sorts of things. I mean, they'd be smoking weed um, in our living room because my mum... Um, wasn't at home. Um, my dad also wasn't at home. My dad was working. My mum was going to college. They were divorcing. And um, they'd be smoking weed. I'd come home one day and find there was like a moped in the living room. And we had um, really nice end of terrace um, Victorian property with original carpet flooring. And they're just oiling this like moped on on that kind of floor and it was just this is horrible um being in that kind of environment and knowing like I can't really tell my mum because these guys are at my house all the time and they're quite aggressive I can't tell my dad because he would just go ballistic and then it just got worse and worse I mean one day we had an au pair at home um and we, we came home from from school um me and my best friend at the time and we found that they'd had a flower egg and flower fight in the house um just no respect for the home um and just left to do whatever he wanted really it was he didn't see any boundaries of 
if it meant impressing these people. The groups would change. He was maybe friends with people that lived directly in our area and then friends that lived near this boy. Um, and it would just be, I couldn't go anywhere with him. He, he constantly knew people everywhere we went and it just, just ruined every outdoor experience that I had in my own area. So there's lots and lots of interesting things there that you're saying. One, your brother's not the stereotype that people hold in their minds when they think about these experiences. You know, there's two parents at home, um, you know, working parents and um, that kind of, uh, you know, economic security or whatever in the family. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're painting a really, you know, vivid picture of somebody who was trying to find their way and find a kind of place of belonging in in school and then and then sort of in with the social life outside of school. Yeah. Was it a mixture of kids in those groups? Was it, would you say? Um, no. Um, I think he had he had one friend who I'd say was on a similar kind of social kind of level and in terms of like the amount of money that his family had was similar to what my dad was earning and he was always involved and he could really easily dip in and dip out this other friend of his but my brother was full-on involved and as I said facilitating he was always the centre I mean from a young age um, he joined his this friend that I said the shorter boy that lived on the estate and his behaviour in that social environment was different than when he was just with the other boy who was local and they, although the, all three of them are from the same country originally mm. I felt like it was almost um, to come from a lower economic background or to come from a council estate was something that was glorified something it, it was like being bred in the right environment um, to impress in the way that they were trying to impress mm. one another if you look at all three of them now, the short boy is now in prison for life for having murdered somebody. My brother is in prison um, for a shorter time, but he was due to be released uh, four months ago and is still not out. And the last thing I heard, he was in solitary confinement. Um, and the boy that was dipping in and out of that culture is now a lawyer. He'd started um, at the age of 11 when he was uh, in year seven and had become friends with this um, other boy that was from the council estate. They would organise, I mean they'd always be, that each of them would have three mobiles and just be call, like, receiving calls and organising calls with others and you could see that there was a kind of um, a network that mm. they were trying to create. They'd be speaking to one person and um, finding avenues of selling it and negotiating prices for buying in bulk and selling in small bits, etc. Um, and I think um, I didn't really know how much he was involved um, until maybe the end of that academic year. Um, he was found in the middle of the night. I mean, they'd regularly sleep over at each other's house. Either the boy would come over to our house or my brother would be at his and um, one evening I think the doorbell rang at 4am and uh, the police had um, come to the door with my brother 
They found them on a motorway behind one another with a rucksack um, with, with money in it, um, weed in it, and a knife. Um, my dad at the time, um, he was selling Swiss Army knives in a shop um, in central London, and he had a stock of them um, that he'd be delivering back to work every time he sold one, he'd update the stock at work. And they got access to this and taken it with them. And you can imagine for myself and my my parents at, at that time of night, finding that he had not only become armed with these things and been moving drugs somehow, somewhere, but he'd left the house. That enough at that age is a bit of a shock. He'd left the house without us knowing. I think that was the first sign of the fact that he was slipping away and we were losing control, that he was doing things that he would have been absolutely terrified to do two years before. Um, and he would be really worried to have to answer to my parents. I mean, they were both strict and, and still, even at that point, felt that they had control up till realizing this I felt that they had control and it must have been that what however scary my parents were maybe disappointing these people or letting them down or not pulling his weight I don't know to what degree his involvement was then but um not pulling his weight would have been more terrifying or consequences of that would have been worse than if he'd have just disappointed my parents for leaving at whatever o'clock in the morning so that was one of the first times your parents kind of had a real eye-opener about how what he was doing or how deep he was into something. Yeah. How how did they do you, how did they um respond and did they reach out for help? Did they Um I think I think my my mum to be honest is I can't really remember a lot about how they've they dealt with it. I think they had told him off and um, the, the, they'd met with the parents of the other boy. I think, I think they may have just told him off and maybe given him, you know, made, made him grounded or something for a while, but it was nothing, nothing that made him, I don't perhaps it's because he's a boy, but um, maybe if he was a girl, they'd be slightly different. But I, I feel that he, he didn't really feel the full impact of what his decisions had meant on the family how disappointed they were I don't think he really felt that mm. um I think it, it was all worth it whatever it was for I think he he would have felt that he, he didn't really have to pay a very high price for what he did and between my parents as well I remember my mum telling him that he needs a like a more active father role uh, the police charge him just as an aside no no he was so young I yeah. mean at that point there's no services apart from police you haven't been involved in the family with nothing, any no. professional people no and and then he was grounded a bit um but like you say it didn't really feel like the consequences kind of outweighed the, whatever he was getting out of what he was doing yeah so then it carried on from there tell us a bit more about that yeah um around year nine he was getting suspended quite a lot um there was an episode that he had been skiving off school and um again the police were involved he'd taken a brick um and thrown it into a 
I'm not sure if it's a dual carriageway or motorway that was near his school. Um, and it had fallen on somebody's um, windscreen. And my mum would be called regularly into school and um, he didn't, he, he, he would play up to the teachers a bit. So they, they expressed their disappointment. And, and my brother, my mum still mentions it, that she'd, she'd go to these meetings and he would sit there and just say about how difficult his life was and that his, his parents were divorcing at the moment and get really quite emotional in front of the teacher. And then um, my mum would leave with him after he'd speak and, and my mum would be like, well, why haven't you expressed yourself to me? I, I didn't know that you felt this deeply about the divorce and if you did, I mean, we, we could get help or you could speak to someone. And she, she'd be like, well, mum, I, I was only pretending because um, she, she, she goes, he goes that the prick wouldn't let me off if I, if I didn't express like that something was wrong. And she even said, like, sometimes it is so, such a surreal feeling that somebody you've brought to the world and you've, you know, raised, and I felt the same, somebody I've grown up with, has a completely different face um, in different scenarios. So even the fact that he could say that to my mum meant that the respect at home had already been completely lost. Mm. The respect at school was maybe only to let him get away with things so that my mum wouldn't get into trouble because there was things like skiving or not attending school, bunking school entirely or all these things. that They had penalties already at that stage for parents. Um, and I think that's that's something that, um, that he'd have to hold against my mum. So if, if he, she didn't go along with these stories that possibly she might get in trouble or have to pay a fine or whatever it was. Right. Um, and then soon after that, I mean, he got suspended so many times, um, but then he was finally expelled, I think something like three months before his GCSEs mm -hmm. and sat his GCSEs. And even from this, this school that he got moved on to, um, he was hardly in school and it was just a a, a condensed um, environment of just uh, badly behaved children who didn't care or about the, their studies or um, couldn't encourage each other. Nobody was happy about studying there and it wasn't seen as um, by anybody I knew who was around him at the time that this is our last chance if we if we don't do well here we're, we're that's that's our future gone and there was a real lack of support there I mean he wouldn't be at school at all I was already at college by that time um, and so I would be at home and he'd be at home as well and nobody would be coming to call to see why he hadn't attended or or um, if he'd done his homework or mm. nothing like that. It was just really a last resort. And I remember at that time, particularly in that area, there were loads of South African teachers coming over to teach because so many people were unwilling to, to spend their working hours teaching in that kind of an environment. And um, yeah, I, I don't think that there was any support for him after being expelled. So this is what they people would call an exclusion unit or similar that he was in, is it? I think so. Yeah. I, I remember having a name, I don't know if that's exactly... All the kids name. in it who've all been suspended or expelled yes, from other schools. Yes, all of schools. them, yeah. 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 
people are talking in the press a lot at the moment about the relationship between that whole business of suspending and expelling and and having whole groups of children in those situations in in the same school together yeah. and the problems that that causes and that's very much backed up by what you're saying that it yeah they were kind of all in that and none of them there was no kind of vision of a way out of that, that yeah that he, he was getting we were involved we, we had a family friend whose husband was a police officer in the area and he got away with quite a lot um having that kind of some someone familiar in the police force and just being like come on this is not your kind of scene why are you here um quite quite a few times he he he'd get away with doing naughty things um illegal things even um and he never saw it as a second chance and so when you think of these expelling schools as a second chance somebody who at that point either because of their age um because they don't fit the that they're too young to be um, charged for certain things. Um, they, he's just he must have felt like he's gotten away with so much. I mean, if if somebody had started a a, a life of crime at sixteen, it, it's very different to somebody who started a life of crime at eleven mm. because it, they they've got away with so many things. They they've done things in 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 daylight in front of everybody and nobody's thought anything of them because they look like kids uh. they get away with a lot of stuff um and and so his his whole the risk element of of it even as he's gotten older it just it's it's not he's not afraid of it he he knows how to get away with things he knows exactly what to say if he gets stopped by police he knows what to stay, say if he gets stopped and searched in every environment you can think of, he knows how to behave or act or where to go, he to to run away, to hide. It, it's just it just becomes part and parcel of, mm. of life as He's as a fluent tree. in that yeah. world. Yeah, when he was small. So another aspect of um, involvement in gangs and criminal exploitation that people talk a lot about is this idea of grooming that that young children are um, groomed into these experiences. So we've talked a bit about your brother and and some peers who he was close to in this um, in this world that he was getting deeper and deeper into as a child. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about that idea of grooming and how 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 that looked in your in, from what you could see in your brother's experience? Yeah, so I explained like aspects of his character. However, however, those people that were inspiring him to do more. Of, of the criminal activity or getting involved in moving drugs or obviously that included as criminal activity but for them they just see it as you know a delivery boy at the beginning and for doing something so simple and not really risking very much because nobody would suspect anything of, of that kind of magnitude of them because they li- they look like cute little 11 year old boys mm. um they they got a lot of praise for it and because they 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 would have known the level of um importance that their role had to the whole moving of the the drugs or whatever it be if it's a weapon or whatever um they really they they got a lot of um praise uh and felt that they were part of something really big and and scary and I think what, what when you fear something in a way and you're 
you're part of that that team of people that are doing something so profound whether it's even if it is bad um it just makes you feel i guess really powerful mm. and i think that somebody who feels weak and a bit of a sheep might really like that release of feeling like they're in power mm. um and I, I think that that's probably where it started. They probably saw his how eager he was to entertain, how how to get how eager he was to get a laugh, um, and really to, to even to use our home to the extent that I saw to vandalise his room. I mean, two of the boys that I remember that were from this um, estate that used to come to our house regularly, um, also involved in drugs. Um, they were talented in graffiti and they'd completely cover his room in all kinds of stuff and then when they'd be done they'd bring white paint really cheap horrible smelling white paint and start all over again and it was just he let them do that so it was like them making their own impression on his life and kind of I don't know in, in our language we say like putting a thumb print on, on them kind of thing mm. um they they owned him. They owned his time. They owned his um, his actions. They owned his feelings. They could they could make him really excited. They could make him proud. Um, they made him feel like he belonged, and that's really what he what any I think boy of that age mm. is after. Mm. You just want to feel that you're accepted by people who are older than, than you that you look up to and whether it was how many sit-ups they can do or how good their graffiti was or how much weed they could smoke how, how much alcohol they could drink how many people they beat up that week um what kind of designer clothing they were wearing there were so many different things that um glorified these people for him um and he really did aspire to be like them and how much different how much older um or d different were those were they were they um just a little bit older than him or 16 17 18 that yeah. kind of age and and really political i mean the way that they would speak like they call them their youngers they that that's and they still do that they it's some it's like they own them it's like their children Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'd encourage you to listen to episodes two and three in the series to better understand Sarah's experience. These episodes look at county lines as a business model and its effect on family life and the barriers to overcome in order to leave the county lines operation. There are helpful resources listed in the show notes, including resources on county lines, exploitation and safeguarding. Tweet at Research IP to let us know your thoughts on what you've heard today. Thanks for listening to this Research in Practice podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on Twitter? Tweet us at Research IP.